Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you once again for another interview with another cast member from 24. Excited for this one today. Jesse Borrego played Gail Ortega on the third season. A, I guess you could say, triple agent. I mean, he was a double agent, then a triple agent, and he was good, then he was bad, then he was good again. It's it's very alias, but it worked and uh, very intriguing character. And a great interview here, Jesse talks about how he initially auditioned for a different character and then was offered the role of Gale, and also talks about working with Rachel Owlsworth, with Keith Sutherland, and uh, many other people on the show, and also where this ranks among some of his other esteemed credits that he has. Of course, appeared in other shows such as Dexter, the Fame TV series from the 80s, Con Air, just to name a, a few of his film credits as well. But uh, it's a very entertaining chat, which you are going to hear right now. Our chat with Jesse Borrego. We are continuing on our interviews in the lead up to our full series recap of 24 and very excited to welcome our next guest to the show outside of 24. You might know him from Conair, Dexter, the Fame television series, just to name a few. But of course, he did appear on the third season of 24 where he played Gail Ortega, who is technically a triple agent, I want to say, quadruple. Deep undercover. Deep, deep, deep undercover. There's lots of layers to this character, which I'm intrigued to find out a little bit more. Uh, Jesse Barrett, is on the line right now to talk a little bit more about this. Jesse, first of all, pleasure to have you on the Oz Network. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, so glad to be here. You know what I mean? Uh, whether you're, uh, what did we say, uh, up, over, or down, under, we definitely enjoy all of the uh, the fans all around the world, you know. I, I really love the international vibe of everything that I do. You know, I've been lucky enough uh, in what I've done in television and cinema a lot of my projects have gone international, and so it's great to be able to meet and talk with people. And it's the pleasure also returned back at you that you're able to give us your, your time to talk about uh, these because it's it's interesting that we're talking about 24 and that, you know, we're kind of celebrating the 20-year anniversary, at least of the first season, but then you look back on, on your season, it's still a good 18 years, which which is ridiculous. I, I can't believe it's been that long. It does not feel that And I can't imagine for you it feels like it's been that long. 2003 was, I believe, and that was the third season. Um, Yeah, I mean, time flies when you're having fun. That's what I like to say. So I look back at my career and and so it's like I said, it's kind of great to be able to touch on 24 because at that time it was the cutting edge uh, show. Not only were they pushing the boundaries in terms of uh, action narrative, 
within a framework with the whole every episode's an hour thing, you know, so you're always on the edge of your seat. Uh, but, you know, they were also, uh, you know, at that time, they were really trying to be inclusive in terms of their storylines. So the third season was the Latino season. And, you know, you, you brought in all these wonderful actors. Uh, but then you had, you know, you had people like Joaquin already on the show that were representing, you know, Zach Quinto was getting his start on that show. And specifically in that season, his character yeah. was really starting to bust out. So it was great to be able to be part of that type of a movement on a, on a show that was already pushing the boundaries and was such a success, you know. Had you been a fan of the, of the first two seasons? Had you, had you watched much of them before you were going for the, the role of Gail Ortega? Yeah, well, you know, uh, just being a professional in the industry, you always want to be on top of uh, the top shows and what's the new style. But I think they were pushing boundaries. And, you know, I've been a fan of, 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 of Kiefer's for a long time. We kind of started our careers around the same time. We're both around the same age. But I was a television star first on the television show Fame. So a lot of those guys like Kiefer and a lot of the guys who you know now as the biggest stars in the industry were just starting out. So you get to see and appreciate their careers and where they came from. So it was wonderful to see him as the lead and, and one of the creators of the idea. Uh, and then, of course, to be able to work with him was wonderful. But the whole creative team from the top to the bottom, you know, a lot of the producers were also writers and they were directing the episodes. So they were pushing the boundaries. Uh, and again, that whole idea of the narrative having to follow a 24-hour time period within 24 episodes was crazy. Uh, and, you know, also at that time, I have to point out that they were just starting to worry about the digital piracy. The internet in 2003 was just starting to expand. So they were very worried about, uh, with, with the big fan bases, with people getting ahead of the uh, ahead of the show and ahead of the writers and the narrative. So they were being very secretive about who got to read the scripts, which is very interesting because as an actor, you know, when you have a story arc, you want to know what's going to happen, you know, in episode 13. And it just wasn't possible with, with what, what was happening. So it was, it was great because we were always creatively on edge, like, well, what's going to happen next? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> which for you so even more so a- with your character, particularly not knowing, like uh, you probably, the first time you revealed, you think, oh, I'm a double agent, but then all of a sudden, wait, I'm not. Like you, you're just learning every single time you get one of these scripts. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was probably the funnest part of being, you know, on that show at that time. Uh, and the great thing was, like I said, the creatives and the crew, they all knew how it went because they'd already done it for a couple of seasons. So they went through the uh, the bugs, the first and the, th- the second season. So by the third season, they were like butter. So those of us who were going, whoa, what is going on? were really impressed by, you know, how they figured it all out. You know, one of the things you realize is that when you're shooting a show that's supposed to mimic a 24-day uh, hour period, well, guess what? Half of your season, you're shooting at night. Mm-hmm. Hello. Yep. So you kind of, you don't realize that in the middle of your season, you're going to go into night shoots, and then you're going to do that for the remainder of the season. What you know, Whether you start nights and then go to days, or whether you go... So either way, it's it's kind of unnerving there for a while, and by then, thank God, the 24 team had already gotten to that sweet spot. So it was beautiful to see how they functioned. 
And so then creatively as an actor, then you get into the spirit of, and you're like, man, this is something incredible. And they're going to look back at this and say, wow, how did they pull this off? Putting an idea that takes place in one day and shooting it. I mean, how many seasons did they run? Eight, nine? Uh, well, eight full 24 episode seasons. And they sort of brought it back for a, a half season, which you classify as season nine, then the reboot, which only lasted 12 episodes as well. So yeah, eight full 24 hour days essentially is what they did yeah how did they do 12 how did they do a half day that's crazy well it was they kind of they loosely played with the time i think they basically did a big skip forward at the you know the final hour Uh, and and then legacy i think yeah it wasn't quite the same they they did a two hour like tv movie in between um seasons six and seven during the writer strike um so they kind of still kept the real-time format and always the rumors about the movie people would be like well are you going to keep the real-time format how would you do it but i mean that that was a huge sell point i know for me for watching this because it's you know it's advertised as everything takes place in real time it's a one whole day i mean that in itself is 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 a fascinating concept which as you said by season three they've kind of ironed out the bugs a little bit more they kind of i guess are a bit used to that now as i'm sure they were didn't make it any easier because i'm sure it didn't i was involved with with the writers and they were always pulling their hairs out because they were trying to make sure that it fit while thinking ahead while still keeping every episode intrinsical to itself you Mm -hmm. know so it's not just a pass-through episode you know there's something going on every character is being affected and that was the other thing is they had such a wonderful cast i mean from the top bottom you're talking about Kiefer sutherland hello so but everyone else from reiko to joaquin to you know the cast that you didn't see you know all the latino actors i'd worked with them in other projects so i knew that they were top notch Uh, you know, all of these other actors that I didn't get to work with, but every single character had its due and its day within that 24, those 24 episodes. And that was wonderful to be as a creative element to be in that game like that. You know, so for me to, to take a hold of a character like Gael Ortega, which you don't really know where it's going and uh, to really be able to play with it like that, you know, that was the funnest part for me especially in those television action narratives, you know, a lot of times you get stuck to what a character is because of the plot device. But in that sense, you know, you didn't know where it was going to go. And so I think as a creative professional who wants to leave his mark and every little thing you do, this was an opportunity to do that. And so I embraced it wholeheartedly. And how, how was it pitched to you when you first, uh, you know, read for the role or sort of however you, you, you got the role of Gail? Was it, you know, pitched in a certain way, like a mysterious CTU agent or just a CTU agent and, you know, empty empty phrase from that point on, develop it as it goes along? No, you know, uh, again, as a professional, especially as uh, an actor of color, uh, you kind of uh, look at a lot of uh, the narratives that come out of television and you see very limited opportunities to expand beyond, again, what I call the plot function of a lot of characters, especially in a television narrative that's got to move pretty fast. Um, So I, I, you know, a lot of times I, by that point in my career, I'd I'd already done fame where I had younger students, I mean, younger fans who I wanted to impact with the characters that I did moving on in my career. I'd done Blood In, Blood Out, big films, where I got to exemplify Latino characters. So I kind of wanted to stay in that zone. So I was turning down a lot of series television, but 24 was different because in that third season, 
the producers and the writers were really trying, you know, to push the boundaries of, of inclusion. And so I think with that particular episode, there was an opportunity for a lot of different uh, Latino characters in the storyline to, 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 to play. Right. Uh, so I think what happened was there was an opportunity to audition for actually the villain, the ah, main villain. Right. And by then I kind of had it in my head. Well, the problem is I'm not a character enough actor. And again, at that time I looked very young, you know, with my hair and the whole bit, I'm not character enough and, and evil looking enough to get the bad, bad guy. Neither do I have that inherent accent that they liked in a lot of the Latino bad guys. So I was kind of stuck in the middle, uh, but I was an actor, you know, I'm an actor's actor and that's where I come from. My training is in the theater. My training is on all of that. So I always find, even if I audition for a, a villain or a, an archetype, I try to bring a little something different. Well, with that particular character, I said, you know what? I don't have the accent. I don't have the uh, evil looking. Let me play him as another thing. And I did a little acting thing on it. It was very intriguing. And I could tell that the producers in the room were looking at me like, huh, he's not evil enough for the bad guy, but there's something. And that's what I wanted to accomplish, you know, because then the casting director remembers you, the producers remember you. If you don't get the gig, you're all right. But I think that helped me because they immediately thought of me for the much more complex character yeah. of Gael Ortega. And I think that that's where my wheelhouse is. You know, it's characters that are complicated, that you don't really know where they're coming from, that play against the archetype. And, uh, you know, it, it served me well because in Dexter, kind of the same thing, because even though it was a, you know, a series of about all this stuff, that character was very multi-layered and complex. And I've been able to do that in a lot of things. And I think that's what was perfect for that particular third season of 24 is it was these really great, interesting characters. And you just didn't really know. I mean, Kiefer's character was already controversial, right? Because yeah. he had all those elements going on. So I think it played into that wheelhouse of not really knowing where where Gael's loyalties were and was he going to be on the, was he really a good, was he really a bad guy? Was he really a good guy? And you never really knew. And I loved, I loved that about that. So that's what I was able to do with the audition. And I think it served me well in that sense, you know, instead of really trying to put on the thick accent and try to be the bad guy, you know, the badass and Massage twirling. Just doesn't work <laughs> yeah. You know, and I can do that, but, but sometimes I feel that, uh, you know, it, it kind of undercuts what writers really want from a character role. You know, even if it's written that way, they want something a little different. And then, yeah. so that's what I try to do with my talent and my skill set. Which the one thing that we spoke a little bit to Joachim about was that season three is often, I feel, for, I don't say forgotten amongst the fans, but it kind of just, you know, people talk up season five, season one, you know, people, big fans of season two and a couple ones. But I, I've always been a massive defender of season three because there's so much going on in that season that i think people forget uh my favorite yeah. villain of all time in 24 is season three i love stephen saunders paul blackthorne i absolutely love him and obviously your your wife in the show ends up killing him so thanks for that um but it's so many things you, you mentioned the likes of zachary quinto you know you know pre star trek heroes fame was in that season mary lynn's first season of course is chloe uh, you know she, yes. she came in in season three a lot going on in that season and I think what makes it interesting with your character in particular 
is that you're that deep into 24 where you kind of expect there's going to be a mole. It's kind of like it's the trope. Every season there's going to be a dirty CTU agent. Yeah. So yeah. we kind of get the reveal of you quite early and then the whole twist is you're not actually evil. You're actually good, which I, I mean, that was, again, it it's completely subverses your expectations of what you're thinking because you're thinking straight away, oh, evil. There we go. Tick, uh, the, tick the bingo card, but no. It's yep. pulling the wool over your eyes. Do you remember when you first got the script revealing that you weren't actually evil or did you kind of expect that you weren't evil? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, but you, one of the things, again, like I said, with all of the secrecy surrounding scripts at that time, you know, and again, it was very early on that they were just realizing, oh my Lord, with this internet and fan stuff, they could easily get ahead of the story if someone leaks or something, you know, so it was a very real thing that they were realizing. So that led to, again, being very careful about the secrecy of it. And that meant access. You know, you really didn't get to read the next, what was going on until right before you shot it. So while you were shooting one episode, that's when you would get, okay, this is what's coming up. So the reveal to me wasn't until I was actually knee deep, thick in it because again it wasn't revealed until five six episodes in i mean they kept us they kept us uh, you know thinking that i was the mole until i was until i think uh, joaquin had me in the interrogation chair possibly i think yeah that's when carlos's character comes in because Chappelle, yeah they're sort of and then you realize it's deep cover and sort of it's like you're getting the president on the line right now (laughs) exactly because you know you have to reveal that only Kiefer knows that i'm deep 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 so you know in that sense i didn't really know until that point But what happens with me is that I'm very intuitive in terms of narrative. And I got, you know, I love writers and I love producers that are creatives and writers, showrunners. And so I, you know, I I right away vibed these guys and I saw where they were coming from. And I, and I caught the groove because I knew the series already from the first two successful seasons, right? Especially the first one where the idea was like, what? And so inherently already as a creative, you, you think of these things, what are the, uh, you know, what are the challenges and what are the possibilities for that? So I knew that there was something up with Gael, man. I know there's something going, it can't be as obvious as a mole. Yeah. And so I knew if I, but I knew as an actor that if I just played, you know, the goal, if I just played, and that's the great thing, they were so well written because I, again, like I tell you, they figured out all the bugs. So every episode fit together like a Lego and it was beautiful to watch it. Uh, and so compelling as you're helping them develop this. So I think for us as actors and, and playing a character as complex as Gael, where you really don't know, is to just keep building the blocks, knowing that it's going to lead to something great. So when the reveal happened, it was all up because I'd gone so far in the other direction. So it really didn't matter. Even if I turned out to be a mole, it still would have been a very interesting character because you didn't really know if it was going in that direction. And of course he turned out to be a guacamole, not a mole, but a guacamole. <laughs> and it, you know, it, it was great. And so I think it was kind of interesting because after that, after the reveal, you know, he just became another CTU agent uh, and it wasn't as fun until, and I'm going to tell you the fun thing about that character, not knowing what's happening. You know, there was a very high mortality rate 
on the show. Just, just <laughs> a bit, yes. Talk about. <laughs> yeah, a very high mortality. So everybody who was a new guest star or even a recurring character was always waiting for the shoe to drop, right? And again, you didn't really know until the script got there. So we're all looking at each other like this. This might be the last time I see you, right? <laughs> so once, you know, once Gael was revealed and I became just another CTO agent, there was like, you know, a whole season's worth of episodes left. So I'm going, okay, when is the shoe going to drop? You know, they ain't going to take Reiko. You know, Zach and Mary Lynn are solid. You can tell they're just character, you know, beautiful characters. And Oh, my God. But it wasn't happening. And all of a sudden, I became one of the guys. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to make it. This is beautiful. <laughs> and then the script shows up where Reiko and Gael. Don't know a hotel. We kept, we kept saying, we're safe. The danger's out there. We're safe. As long as we stay here at the office, there's a chance we're going to make it. And then boom. And even though I was glad to be out of the CTU, right? Because I said, wow, I'm going to get to go on location. Very cool. You know, I'm going to another set. I mean, that's the fun thing about it. I knew... I knew. I said, oh, Gael. That ticking cool clock, literally. Is, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. But what was beautiful is that they really weren't sure themselves because uh. they still were considering, yes. And we actually kind of half shot it there towards the end. I mean, it's been revealed already, but they didn't know. They didn't know if Gael was going to die or not. So we had a yes, we see him on the gurney, and we had a no possibly he'll survive. So, and then again, that's the nature of the beast and the nature of that type of a creative beast. And I, you know, I don't know if anyone will ever be able to pull it off and say that it was as wonderful a journey creating that as those producer writers did uh, to put that, to put that show together. And I'm telling you by the third season, they'd worked out the bugs. So it was still a challenge to do that. To, you know, to fulfill that idea of doing it like that, but it was so much fun. And like someone, for someone like me, I mean, once I realized that I was going to go and that I might be gone, that I was in the, I was at ground zero, basically, I thought how cool to go all the way from being thought the mole hmm. to be the hero, because he was the hero of the season. Yeah. As much as I wasn't the lead, as much as I didn't survive, I mean, Gael Ortega took it for the team. And then, and then I have that beautiful scene with my favorite actress, Reiko Aylesworth, and she just, and I, we knew it was like, ugh, and we'd become such, we'd become such close friends. Everybody on the set, including Kiefer, such a giving leader, so giving as an actor, so worried about his co-stars. I mean, just a beautiful way to lead a cast and i think because of that Aver, you could feel that everybody gave their passion to every character no matter how small but the beautiful thing was to be able to have that great beautiful scene uh with breko and to say goodbye to this character yeah that's what i felt and, and you know and i thought I, I really gave it to the writers and, and thanked them so much because as an actor that's what you look back at that's what you go hey not only did was i in that hit series but did I say a little something? Did I leave my mark? And, you know, and I think Gael in that journey in that third season, if people are 24 fans, they should watch that season because trust me, the third season of any hit show is where they'd, they've worked out the bugs of the first two and they're trying to push the boundaries in the third season. 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I really give it to, to the guys for, for putting it up like that, you know, to the people who were responsible for that. Which, I mean, as an actor, it's, it's sort of a cliche to say it's, you know, it's always fun to play the bad guy, right? More fun to play the bad guy. But you, you and also I can imagine there are people out there who want to play the heroes. You, you get to tick off both boxes because, I mean, you're mentioning there, you, you are the hero. You have that hero moment, you know, you go out with a bang, blood everywhere, you know, pretty gruesome death. But then the the sort of the villainous moment, like the, the, the bit where it's kind of revealed your, the, the mole really is sort of when you're holding Kim Bauer hostage, you know, oh, I, I really, I've got to close that file or whatever you say at the end of that episode. So it's kind of like you've got two ends of the spectrum where you're really getting to play the Dick Dastardly evil and then you've got the, you know, the almost Superman style hero right at the end. So, I mean, and it's not often that I can imagine as an actor you get to do that in a, in a TV series. You have to hold out, uh, you know, and and uh, I, they gave me an interview the other day. Uh, one of my films, Blood In, Blood Out, directed by Taylor Hackford, Hollywood Pictures, just got nominated to the registry of uh, the National Library of Congress, uh, along with 25 other Latino films as irrelevant to their culture. But the character that I played in that, uh, again, uh, an artist, a Mexican-American artist, a Chicano artist who was a gang member so very complex characters to me is what i look for and so they asked me they said if you look back at your career you know you know what would you say uh and i you know i said you know i'm happy that because i was selective that i'm very proud of the things that are there and i have to say the same thing about gael ortega in 24. i mean i would i would say that a lot of series like that when they don't, uh, they don't try to push the boundaries of of what creativity is, you know, and that's really what impressed me about the creative crew, uh, from the producers and the showrunners, uh, the conceivers, uh, the the directors who frequently were the writers and producers themselves. All those guys, if you look at their credits, you know, a lot of the guys were writing the episodes, they were directing them. They were some of the original creators of the, the series innovatively. So I think that type of, um, you know, artistic fertile soil creates opportunities for someone like me, who's kind of holding back from leaving a career that's typical, hmm. uh, especially for an artist of color. So I'm proud to say that, you know, I was around at that time and that I was able to join in in those seasons where those uh, those shows were pushing those boundaries, you know. Uh, and so I, I think that's uh, probably the best thing about that third season is that they really were trying to say, OK, we established what the idea was. The second season, we were continuing on the development of these lead characters. But now in the third season, where are we going to go with this? You know, we know that we're going to go into Latin America, but do we just necessarily have to play it as the typical thing where it's the, the, you know, the Anglo good guys as tormented as they are with the Latino bad guys, you know, as beautiful as we make them look, you know, because if you look at, you know, how they, how they portray our culture, we're beautiful, we're exotic, but we're frequently on the wrong side of the law in those types of narratives, right? Television narratives. And so I think in this sense, they were doing that thing that we're talking about right now, you know, diverse inclusivity in the American 
universal global narrative. And I think that's going to serve us as a human society if we're able to include those voices in our narratives. And again, they were doing this in 2003. So that's what's beautiful about that. And so then as an actor, to be able to play a character like Gael Ortega is, is, is so wonderful. And I can only you know, claim it as one of the high points in my career. And then to be part of such a successful series because it didn't stop in the third season and no, going exactly. on for yeah. five, Which is one awards. Yeah. It's it's it was interesting you mentioned about kind of that that level of of diversity and, and everything that they were going for in that third season because it was only a season later in season four. That's when they started to get a lot of backlash, particularly around their betrayal of, of Arabic characters. They sort of, you know, kind of went the complete opposite direction the next season. So it's sort of it's mm-hmm. you you think it would kind of be the other way around, wouldn't it? That maybe they yeah. got sort of, you know, went a little bit too far, so they wanted to fix it the next season but they kind of went the opposite direction there, it seemed. I always say that, um, and again, I say this because I'm biased because I've been part of probably the third season of some of the best shows um, in the last 20 years, you know. Um, And I think it's just that the nature of the beast, once you get into, especially in in a television drama, you know, you get into your fan base and then you get into the premise of the narrative and then you're kind of stuck there, you know, and you have to, if it becomes successful, then you kind of have to regurgitate the thing, uh, you know, ad nauseum. If you look at, uh, you know, uh, walking dead, you know, I don't know how they've kept it going other than, you know, the creative team is so good at that. The, the fan base is so loyal and the actors that you're using, you know, keep reinvigorating it with these very interesting characters. But the premise itself is, yeah, really? Yeah. How long can you really do this? But I think that's the nature of the beast. Now, would I love to be part of a creative team that has a successful uh, hit show for eight years? Yeah, I'll give you what you need ad nauseum. <laughs> but I think that still you'd have to try and be, you know, a creative and innovative and that's a tough thing to do with a successful television show because they want you to keep doing the same thing um so i think it's probably tough and i think it was also tough that at that time you know the narrative was being skewed in that direction because what what had just happened and what we were in the middle of and that's unfortunate because i don't think that that those types of 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 uh things uh uh, like politics and all that should impact a narrative other than in a positive social way. And I think when you're talking about such an extreme narrative, like uh, an action show like that, it, it's tough because again, that perception of good guys and bad guys is so black and white because of the structure of a television narrative, yeah. you know? So I don't envy being in that position and having to write a show like that where then the politics changes, you know, the world skews in a certain direction. And again, you're right. I mean, right there in that third season, they were able to do that without it really being, I mean, it, it re- inclusion and cultural inclusion wasn't on the radar at that point. So they were doing it a, a ahead of time. But you kind of, uh, you know, successfully that fourth season, they had to go in that direction. And yeah, man, then all of a sudden it becomes about that very unfortunate because it it continued to be a successful show from for many years so even with even with that backlash you know you can still continue to be 
successful creatively. But I think that, again, with any type of narrative and show, it has its run and it has its yeah. day. Uh, and I think that's probably the tough thing about successful shows is you probably go on longer than you should have creatively because it's still successful in terms of, uh, you know, what your audience base is. And it's all numbers by that point. And so that usually that's why I'm glad that I don't come in in later seasons because then it's kind of cookie cutter. What I, you know, what I've seen, what I've experienced. And for me, that third season is the sweet spot. You know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, it's, it's actually interesting because you know, yeah, with all the criticism that season four got for that, it, it, that was the only season that they kind of fully went that route because you know even season one i mean the evil guys are serbian season two the evil guys are essentially the american government season three the evil guys british yeah uh season yeah, see, five so from that point is the like, russians yeah. so you know they kind of only did that so one they kind of season. self-corrected yeah, yeah exactly so it's, and it's, again it's, that's the whole thing about being the cre- in creative control and being sensitive to what's going on so yeah. that's kudos to the writers and the creators again to be able to go in that direction and go, you know, but I can tell you that uh, having hung out with uh, Keeper and working with him, you know, that dude is a progressive thinker, bro. So I'm pretty sure that with his influence, that he was able to take some of that in and go, hey man, you know, we've got a controversial character. We've got a controversial idea here. You know, let's, let's get back to, you know, the perception that we're trying to tell a, an uplifting story here, not necessarily uh, something that, that that plays to any one demographic, but that tells a universal story as much as you can. Again, the limiting thing is the genre you're in, you know. And I sure. think that's the tough, the toughest thing about about a show like that, you know, that's successful on the merits of the genre that it is. You know, then it's much more difficult to to put those elements in there. So man, you gotta, you gotta give it to them for being able to do that. You know, one thing is also with season three, which is weirdly relevant to the times we live in right now too. Jesse is uh, obviously the whole virus uh, little situation and the whole idea of uh, quarantining in the hotel. And and like, it's, it's actually kind of scary to look at that now, isn't it? Considering what we're living through today. Yep. Once again, ahead of the curve. Man. <laughs> you predicted it. Ahead Season of three curve. of 24 predicted it. <laughs> Those writers, man, is, I loved them because you could always tell who was writing the particular episode because he was the one that kept looking down, walking around, pulling, <laughs> tugging on his hair, who whichever one of the guys was was on that particular episode. <laughs> always there, just you know, less hair every single yeah. hour you were filming. Less basically. hair every single hour. <laughs> But it was great because, uh, you know, they were all very accessible. You could always talk to them about stuff. Um, the, the the directors of every single episode were so giving to the actors in terms of what we needed. And the crews were the best, you know, great, incredible crew uh, that they had on 24 that whole season that I was there. They were the best. And I just... I had a blast because it was like uh, it was like family, you know. I kept in touch with a lot of those people um, after the fact, uh, but you know, just so giving and wonderful as a team, uh, and for and watching each other's backs, you know, no sense of hierarchy whatsoever, but yet such a tight group of professionals. 
So that was the best thing about you could just be yourself and be creative because everything else around you was so tight. What was it like in those moments when your character is dying, when Gael is sadly succumbing to the virus? I can imagine the the makeup situation on those episodes having to uh, be made to look like you're just uh, on your way out. Uh, do you have fond memories of uh, countless hours in makeup chairs to make you look like you're dying? What was funny was it was such an extreme because they didn't really know how extreme do we want to make him, right? So we went through several phases. And then, of course, they went for the the, the worst looking one, right? <laughs> but, you know, you're walking around in makeup and, uh, you know, I'm a kind of a... Uh, I'm a kind of an action guy, you know, I like to keep moving to, to keep the blood flowing. So I, uh, so I don't get stale. So I'm always dancing around. And <laughs> so the funny thing was getting the makeup on and then, and then, uh, you know, I'm my usual cheerful self, which everyone had gotten used to. But every time they looked up to see me, I had this, uh, <laughs> I had this makeup on. So there was always a moment of shock, like, whoa. <laughs> but there I am dancing around, smiling during the, during the whole session. So I think that was the funny part because they were used to my bubbly, my bubbly personality, but they just hadn't seen, uh, you know, Gael on his last legs yet. So you'd have thought I'd have been in character, right? Walking around morose or going around. Nah, scaring I people. went the other way. I said, yeah, <laughs> I said, no, uh-uh, this isn't going to work for me. I got to be happy. I got to be up. But I think that was freaking people out because. Of the- <laughs> so you keep and it on after fun. you film though. Like you go in your car, you go to like down the road to Walmart or something like that. And you're like, oh, help me. Somebody <laughs> help me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that would fly uh, after the pandemic, dude. I don't think I'd be able to go to the to the Walmart, you know, at lunchtime with the, with this with that type of. Book. And I think that I made the book because uh, you know they put out a great book. I don't know if you ever saw it. It was a cool kind of tabletop book, and it had the best of. Um, it might be available on one of the. Uh, is that in the in the sites. is it the official guide for season three or I think so. Might, yeah. no, 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 I, I've I think, got that. I've got the official guide to season three uh, and a couple of other books. But um, okay, and I made one of them, I, but but the but I didn't make it as Gael the the uh, the mole. I made it as Gael the the makeup guy. So I'm in makeup, and I, it's, it's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm smiling away, <laughs> and I've got the horrible makeup, and the makeup lady's over me, and that's another thing again. The, uh, you know, the artist professionals that were on that show, the, not just the crew, but the makeup people, the props guys dealing with all the weapons, uh, you know, uh, set and props department with all the, you know, the gadgets, the James Bond gadgets and the, that incredible computer room that I was in. Remember the one where Gael yep. starts? Whoo, it was so much fun and as an actor i'm a i'm a theater guy so i'm a prop guy you know you give me props and i'll have fun so as soon as they gave me my room you know i was running around going can i touch that can i move this i gotta show that i'm you know so you know and 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 those creatives they love that you know when makeup people they love that you're embracing their makeup the wardrobe the done the costume designers love when you love what you're wearing and you feel that that character you know so when all of a sudden You've got all of this cool stuff and, and, and they want to, they've created fun little things that light up and you can press a button and they, they don't want an actor that comes in as like, Oh, well, I don't want to use that. I'm going to simplify it. You know, they want an actor who engages the space and I'm that, I'm that guy. So I had such a blast. And, um, 
they do appreciate the art that they bring. Mm-hmm. You know, you appreciate the minutia that every single one of those creatives brings to a set, especially on 24, you know, where you're kind of creating all this James Bond stuff that may or may not really exist, you know, in the real world. So that was the fun thing with that crew uh, and those creatives is to be able to make all that come to life. And, oh, what a blast I had in that room. man! <laughs> I wanted to try and play with every single thing. You know, I they had to imagine. slow me down. I love that the, yeah. the way you pull Cameron things out. To, and, yeah. Yes. But that was the thing, you know, again, like I said, they'd already worked out the bugs. So they already were in a position where like, look, this is your space. So if you want to run around to X and A and Y and come back to V, you know, go for it. We got you. And so as an actor, you know, as long as the director's giving you the freedom and the director's telling you where he wants you to be and he has his particular shots that he's chosen, again, the lighting, oh my God. When you look at, again, the design of you know those dps that came in if you look at the dps that are on that list the visual ideas that they had so if you're a fan of that type of stuff as i am as an actor right where is your light where's the dramatic i'm a fan of that stuff in front and behind the camera creatively so once you recognize that and a director photography a cameraman those creatives understand you that way well now they're having fun Cause they're like, Jesse, these are the key spots. These are the fun spots. And the directors were totally in tune with their DPs on, especially on that show. I mean, they were so much butter and bread, you know? So they were like, these are our sweet spots. This is where we want you to play. So again, as an actor and as a dancer, which I am, forget about it. I, you know, the world was my oyster. <clears throat> so the minute I knew what moved, what lit up, where I could play, and now we're cooking with gas. Yeah. So a lot of that is fun for someone like me, especially with a character like Gael, yeah. because now you can really create that sense of mystery, that sense of which side is he on? Oh my God, he knows the intimates of CTU. He's going to bring this thing down, you know, and that I can play with that energy in a body way playing in the space and now these creatives who are filming this are having fun because they're like whoa he's giving us great pictures the director's happy yeah the writers are happy so now they're they're going okay we're going to write something great and this is something i've learned is that when you embrace the artistic process like that and money starts to come out on the other side, gold starts to come out on the other side and they'll let you know, you know, that's another wonderful thing is that uh, the 24 creative team was very good about giving you feedback and, and, and where this was headed and that they were very happy. And so then what happens is the writers start writing for your character down the line. They start giving because they know what you're capable of. Uh, you know, I experienced this on most of the shows that I've worked on uh, where writers and the creatives really start to embrace you as a performer. And they start to, they start to give you uh, you know, start to give you a little more flavor, a little more flower. And I think that's, that's where the creative process gets fun. And that's where you're able to create something like Gael. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were happy if they were thinking about where to go with Gael at the end, they were happy with what I did in the beginning enough to say, you know what, let's give him a great send off. This is mm. a great character. Yeah. We started him off as a villainous, potentially horrible guy, and he's going to go out the hero. And again, 
for me, looking back in my career, I mean, wow, 2003, like you said, that's, you know, 17 years ago, you know, 18 years ago and no, and I can still say, wow, you're really me. You're really making me realize that they allowed me to create a very fun character that I can be proud of. Which you mentioned before about sort of it was that period where kind of, you know, downloads and things and spoilers and all that sort of stuff were taking hold. And we often talk mm. to to our guests from 24 about the fan base because the 24 fan base was such a loyal fan base, you know, and the, mm. the, the writers and creators like to, you know, pay homage to them with lots of little Easter eggs throughout the show. But is it with all the things that you've been involved in, obviously, you know, fame, quite a, quite a big deal in the 80s, you know, Dexter, some of these other great things you've been a part of. How does the 24 fan base... I guess, uh, relate to some of these other ones? Is it something you still sort of get recognized from? People reach out to you to talk about 24 after all these years? You know, fame was kind of cutting edge. Fame, you know, based on the Alan Parker film from 1979 was Irene Cara, Debbie Allen. It started off a lot of people's careers. But when it became a television show, it was so popular worldwide that it predated the popularity of a show beyond its local base, right? That kind of continued on. And by this point, the internet had kind of started to flourish. So in 2003, this was really the beginning of this kind of idea of the internet spurring on this growth of a a loyal fan base. So 24 was kind of new with that kind of, uh, idea of it, right? Of it being a digital, uh, a digitally driven fan base, right? But I'd already experienced it with fame because it was such an enormous uh, global hit that even after the show itself disappeared uh, in the late 80s, throughout the 90s, it there was such a loyal fan base. And then again, with the spread of the internet, it kind of got reinvigorated in that way. Uh, And so I'd kind of already seen that in in a smaller way. So when I tapped into 24, and then I'd also kind of experienced that with a film called Blood In, Blood Out, which had a very strong Latino uh, cult following, which again had been fed in its notoriety and cult status with the connection of the internet. So I'd already seen movements like that. 24 was already, already had that because from its inception in 2001, it was this very successful idea and a very successful show domestically. You know what I mean? In terms of it being a hit show, these other shows were kind of cult status. Fame was underground, you know, mm-hmm. really wasn't a hit in its time. And, but I saw the popularity of that fan base carried through the years. So I saw what 24 could, was going to do. I knew that it was going to be a loyal fan base. And I knew that if this kept growing, this was the time for it to become something incredible, like a global fan base stuck with it. Uh, Interestingly enough, many shows started to do this almost immediately. So that kind of, what's interesting is that even though 24 was kind of breaking the edges, some of these other shows that I've been on post 24 have gotten more notoriety (laughs) because of that. It's fascinating you talk about that with that international reach because obviously, you know, growing up in Australia, we get a lot of uh, American TV shows and, and movies, of course. But 
I, I know I show you appeared in a few episodes on ER. That was that was sort of the show that I always like to say that was the first adult show I ever watched. Like as a kid, I was I was very young when that started, but my mum watched it and kind of you know I would gradually start watching it. And it, it's fascinating that you know at that time we were getting shows in Australia maybe six months after they were airing in the states. We obviously weren't on on time, so. You know, we spoke with Leslie Hope recently and, you know, she was talking about how in the first season she had to go to the UK where they were about six months behind and pretend that she didn't know what happened and, you know, you know, not spoil everything. So it's kind of without the internet and things like that's how it worked. So I, I never kind of think about that with that sort of international reach. I'm sort of just so used to just having American shows and thinking it's part of the staple reach. But obviously for people like yourself who are working on these shows for an American audience, you then discover, oh, hey, this has got a big fan base outside of where I'm, you know, filming this for. Yeah, well, that's a, you know, that's another thing that's been driven by, again, uh, the growth of the Internet yeah. uh, in the 21st century. And, the, you know, the reality that they before they used to really, really, you know, control the flow of shows, uh, successful shows to the international market. But now it's becoming the windows are becoming much smaller and the reach is almost instantaneous, you know, because of the ability to physical media is dead, you know. So now it's really can we get that information to you in a much faster, much easier way? Yeah. And I think and I think that's uh, that's why you see the success of things that are 20 years old, you know, because. It's interesting when when fame uh, finished, the international reach of that show was kind of controlled because it was it was uh, really not a, a very strong intellectual property to go to international. So people only saw the first few seasons, which I wasn't in. Recently, they're catching up on a show that I was on almost thirty years ago, and they're freaking out because they're being introduced to the episodes I was in with Janet Jackson, with Nia Peoples. So it's three seasons worth of new material for old fans. So yeah. it's, it's kind of beautiful to, to see that. Uh, so it's, it, yeah, I, I'm going to look back at this and say, wow, my career spanned that change in the great equalizer between global sharing of these narratives, you know, same thing, you know, the growth in international shows because of Netflix over here to the States. You know, I love my my foreign international shows more than I ever used to be able to absorb five, six years ago. Yeah, it's, you know, well, there's a lot get, of shows, like Australian shows, for example. I was, I was on uh, Prime, Prime the other day and there was one of my favorite Australian TV shows of all time I didn't realize was on there. So I had my wife, I'm like, hey, watch this show. Like, this is a great Australian show you would have never heard of until now yeah. you can watch this. So, yeah. Yeah, and so, again, that's the beauty of it. And uh, to me... I could quit right now, you know, which isn't going to happen. <laughs> still got a lot of guys. Gael still a lot of Ortega chili left in him. But I always Just used to stay say away that. from hotels. Don't go near the. the yeah, don't go to hotel. hotels. Whatever yeah. you do, and yeah. <laughs> should have worn a mask, man. See, yeah. there, See, there you go. You should have worn a mask. Come on, social mask distancing. Magic. From the vile, gosh. But I used to say, well, how do I get back into the show? I go, look, he was from the Ortega Chili family (laughs) and his twin brother, uh, Rafael, 
Ortega is <laughs> mad at CTU because they don't, he doesn't know how his brother got killed. So he comes back as a villain, yeah. right? With a heart of gold because he doesn't understand how it all went down. Yeah. <laughs> but he's got, I like it. He's got Ortega Chili money. You can, yeah. he's got, uh, he's got big money. <laughs> Reboots, they've, they've tried rebooting Reboots. it twice. You never know. There's always, you know, third time's a charm, right? They, yeah. they, as I said, what they, they always do? talk they about that a, movie. <laughs> didn't they do a, like a 24 internet? Uh, one right yeah so a a lot of the during yeah sort of the the middle run of it they did a lot of kind of like internet spin-offs i think they like i think depending on the cell phone company you're with you got like an exclusive episode or something along those lines um there was a few like little spin-off things that they did throughout it so you never know there's there's potential there I did a I did a couple of films uh, uh, with this great actor Jeremy Ray Valdez and i think he was the internet uh 24 kid right. i'm not sure the internet jack bauer <laughs> yeah i think he was the i'm not sure but uh someone well, looked at yeah, again you never know you yeah. never know there's possibilities jesse before we let you go one, one thing i'm i'm enjoying finding out from our guests from 24 um behind the scenes stories with kiefer particularly drinking memories with kiefer now you mentioned about uh you know getting to getting to know kiefer do you ever have a you know a nice night out in the town with Kiefer? we, we know kiefer's you know got a bit of a reputation back in that period but like i mean he's, he's a hard guy i can imagine to keep up with if you go and have a couple of drinks with him the great thing about kiefer is like i said he was always looking out for his guest stars uh which he considered me even though i was in the entire season but i could just see the care that this man had but the professionalism because he raised your bar every single one you know a lot of the major shows i've worked on especially i worked on everything from miami vice back in the day you know like i said to dexter so i worked with the biggest stars who were the biggest stars at the time and they were always always professional always great guys usually Everybody gets there first. And because they are usually producers, uh, showrunners, uh, creatives, they've got development deals. You know, usually they get there uh, right before it's time to shoot and you get them in and then they're ready, right? But they're so busy that it's very much a time crunch, right? Kiefer was there usually a couple of hours before call time. Wow. He was always there before I was. And, you know, if they bring me in, they got to bring me in early, right? And it was, he was always the first one in, the last one out, uh, always. And so, uh, of course, he said, hey, let's go hang out, right? Because he is a beautiful host like that. So we went and hung out, me, uh, my wife, Kiefer, very generous, wonderful. We had a great time. We went to one of our local watering holes in the West side uh, that he knows, cause I told him we were in Venice. We had a great talk, you know, one of his best friends uh, is a Latino. So we talked a lot about, you know, he's really heavy into Cesar Chavez and uh, United Farm Worker Rights. <laughs> yeah. So we had a big, long talk about that. Uh, I'm not a drinker, hello, but I I can tell you this much. It didn't matter because I didn't really see him drink that much, but it didn't affect him the next day. He showed up two hours early and I was like, man, 
that was past my bedtime because we hung out until the bar closed. I go, but, and I was a little hungover because I stayed up past my bedtime, not because I drank. This man is an incredible professional. So I can always tell you that even when he's partying, the man is a professional. And, but the things that concern him, which is what you get into when you hang out with Kiefer are beautiful, wonderful, life-affirming things. And so I wish, shit, I, I wish I could have hung out with him even many more times, man. I would have loved to seen any of that rough behavior, but I can tell you this much, the man loves life and the things that are, are you know, that he is concerned with and when he's unwinding are, you know, incredible, beautiful things that any one of us that could be hanging out and having a good time would be lucky to be talking about and thinking about. So I don't know about that bad boy reputation, but I can tell you when we hung out and we were sitting there drinking, all we did was talk about incredible things in the world. And what, and I was impressed. I mean, the next time I saw him at work, uh, I was in awe. And I think that that was when we were going to start to do, we had just started doing our scenes. And I was like every day, Hey brother, what's going on, man? What do you need from me today? Fantastic. I, I just, well, I just want to find out. If, to be a leader like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to find out, um, you know, if him climbing Christmas trees was just a common occurrence. Um, you know, that's, that's <laughs> the, the funniest video I think I've ever seen of Keeper Sutherland is him drunkenly climbing a Christmas tree and then knocking it over. So um, I just, I, I just, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of this is he goes out drinking, he climbs a Christmas tree. It's just a common Sunday night, you know? Yeah. So. I think that was the holidays, man. I think that, yeah, was, yeah. I think that was his... Uh, it's a wonderful life moment. That's all. <laughs> Why not? We've all done it. Uh, Jesse, before yeah. I let you go as well, uh, anything in the pipeline that we can see you in? Anything, any projects you're working on right now that you can give us a bit of a tease about? Absolutely. I have a great independent film called Phoenix, Oregon. It was just nominated and they put up a plaque on the Oregon film trail where they put up all these incredible film plaques where they shot things like The Goonies, uh, Portlandia. So a lot of great films over the years about 33 of them have been put up but phoenix oregon was a great independent film that i did there in oregon and uh it won a bunch of awards and last year we actually had a theatrical online release and we shared our revenue with the theaters that were going to show it and so we got a lot of good publicity and we were actually the number one box office <laughs> in the United States in wow. March at the beginning nice. of the pandemic because everything shut down. But it was beautiful because we were able to share that revenue. Even though we pivoted online, we kept these theaters, these, and a lot of them were art house mom and pops across the country. So we were able to share the revenue with them. So they had a little something coming in. And when Phoenix, Oregon, the actual town got burned in the Oregon wildfires, we were able to use the film because it was independent. We were able to stream it and use it to, uh, to uh, sh uh, push everyone to an emergency fire fund for the actual town. So I call it something called film activism, where you're actually able to use something that you're proud of. But again, another character, Carlos the Pizza Chef, it stars me, James Legros, is uh, Bobby the lead character who's going through a midlife crisis and me and him are best friends and we open a Bolarama pizzeria, but it's got Lisa Edelstein from house is, uh, 
is our is our third wheel and then we've got Diedrich Bader you know Diedrich Bader from Napoleon Dynamite American mm-hmm. Housewife Kevin Corrigan is our heavy in it uh, so we've got a great cast it's a beautiful film James Legro does a beautiful job as the lead but I play his second banana and again another great Latino character that I'm proud of but uh, Gary Lundgren the film uh, director writer is out of Oregon and him and his wife Annie Lundgren are Oregon filmmakers but a, a film that I'm very proud of it's on Amazon Prime and you can also go to phoenixoregonthemovie.com to watch it another film that I have coming out with Benjamin Bratt called Follow Me Home so right. go to followmehomethemovie.com beautiful but that right. one was an independent film that won awards at the 95 Sundance Film Festival oh. but it was way ahead of the Latino curve so go. it disappeared and now it's coming out wow I like hearing that ben- Benjamin Bratt fellow 24 alum he of course uh, went on to be in a season of 24 so yeah, you know like absolutely you- a oh. lot of 24 uh, crossovers there yeah I like it I like it Jesse it's been an absolute pleasure mate uh, chatting learning all things about your time on, on season 3 of 24 best of luck for, for all those films and, and uh, where can people check you out on social media can people uh, stay up to date with what you're up to as well absolutely go to Jesse Borrego official on Instagram that's my IG right and also on facebook great well we'll check those out mate pleasure chatting with you and uh thank you very much for not uh coughing up some blood on me today as you as you died in that hotel I, I appreciate it. <laughs> that's right stay masked be safe be creative And a massive thanks to Jesse there for his time. Very fun and entertaining. And also a big thanks to his management team for uh, allowing us to chat with Jesse today. We've got plenty more to come in the lead up. We're getting so close to bringing you our 24 recap episodes. More interviews to come. I don't want to spoil any of them, but we've got some exciting ones happening, including a returning guest, somebody who has been on this show before, but talked about a different show that he was on. So clearly, you know, it's either going to be a lost, a third watch or a... Um, uh, Nip Tuck that's the other show that we covered actor uh, and uh, he said in that interview that he would come back on to talk about 24 whenever we got to 24 and here we are so uh, that will be a bit of a teaser for that one as well uh, in the meantime you're going to hear all the do's and don'ts and things to do at the end of this uh, episode right now about uh, following us and staying up to date so it's about time for me to leave right now so you can hear that my name is Ben thanks for tuning in to the Oz Network and we'll speak to you next time good night thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher Google Podcasts or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider and while you're there please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback you can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on facebook twitter and instagram as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time
Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. <laughs>